This podcast contains spoilers. Please check the show notes for more info. Welcome to the Damn Fine TV Podcast. I'm your host, Jasmine, entertainment writer and unapologetic TV enthusiast. On today's show, I'm talking the best and worst of TV in these past few weeks, as well as diving into some of your listener Q&A. And bonus, I have a very special guest joining me for a surprise segment, so stay tuned. Thanks so much for joining me. Let's get started. For those of you who don't know, every episode of the Damn Fine TV podcast starts out with a segment called This Month in TV, and as I kind of mentioned on the last show, I guess maybe we have to play around with the title, because now that the show is uh, bi-monthly, I guess it's like these weeks in TV, or these past couple weeks in TV, I'm not sure, I haven't really decided on something, whatever, for now it's still This Month in TV, so I'm going to start with the bad news, as always, and... This is not so much the worst, but it's definitely the biggest disappointment, and that would be The Walking Dead. Now, it's disappointing because I actually have been enjoying the material that they've been exploring so far this season. You know, they're starting to dig into the rebuilding of humanity and society and, and you know, do you who decides who gets what kind of justice and who are the leaders and what kind of what kind of doctrines do you follow and who goes to jail who gets to hang as we saw Maggie was hanging Gregory and all those kinds of nitty-gritty details that you have to explore once a society has crumbled and honestly the the breakdown of that was something that I was really excited to see in Fear of the Walking Dead, and then they skipped those nine fucking days, so we never got that. So I've been really craving this kind of look at how you rebuild from something, and I think that The Walking Dead should have addressed this seasons ago. I think that by season five, it should have been on the tip of everybody's tongue, and it should have been something that was happening, but... As we have seen, they fucked around for two, three seasons and did basically jack shit. And, you know, the fact that their ratings have fallen so far, that's their own fault. They chose to, as I said, fuck around and do nothing and be boring and do the same shit over and over and recycle plot lines and sling hot garbage at the audience. And it's it's really a shame because... All those people that have dropped off, which I can't blame them because they've been so burned and, and like rejected by this show and they're feeling jaded. They're feeling bitter just as I am, but I'm a fucking perfectionist. So I tend to come back to things and see them through, particularly because I know that Rick Grimes is leaving. So I'm just, you know, it's titillating, right? I want to see how he leaves, but it sucks because all those people that have left are now missing this material that they're now focusing on, which is actually decent. But the problem is, even if those viewers were still there as I am, 
you still feel that jaded, that bitterness towards it because you've been burned so many times by the show that, you know, even if they have a couple of, ugh, I was about to say knockout, but they are not knockouts. Like, even if you have a couple of fairly decent episodes, you just feel like by mid-season, you're going to be aggravated again. You're going to be feeling frustrated again. And then probably for most of the second half of the season, you're going to be feeling the same way. And then maybe they're really actually going to knock it out of the park for a finale. But that's what they do every year. So I feel for people that have left the show. I think they probably made the right choice. I'm probably punishing myself, but I like what they're talking about. I like the direction that characters are taking. I like the questions that they're broaching. I like so much of what is being brought up. And, you know, the thing is, I I really want to care that Rick is leaving, but I don't. I'm still watching, but I I, there's a there's an emotional element that's missing for me. I just he's going to be gone and he's going to be gone, and I feel like I'm watching just to see how it happens. But there's no real investment for me. And similarly, like I really want to care that Carol has found a new romance and that she's found a man that's going to treat her better than Ed ever could. But I just don't. I just don't. I just don't care. I also would really like to be invested in the fact that Daryl has finally found something other to do than look grungy and grunt around and do stupid shit and, you know, ask questions like, oh, did I do that? But, like, I just can't care because I feel so jaded. But there, it's like... It's like this weird swirling like dichotomy inside of me that goes, yes, but this is genuinely good storytelling that they're doing. I mean, okay, it's genuinely decent storytelling and they're definitely on an upswing, but also they put Glenn under a dumpster. Ah, and so it's really hard to kind of um, reconcile those two sides of me. It's It's nearly impossible. I still watch... You know why? I, I mean, I I love the podcasts that I listen to that cover The Walking Dead, and I could really just listen to them without watching the show. I'm sure that they would provide enough insight for me that I didn't even have to, but I like to be in on things. I guess I've got a little bit of FOMO when it comes to this show. It's been on for so freaking long now, but it's that's why it's my disappointing, because I just, I wish I could feel these things that they're wanting me to feel. You know, like, Especially in the most recent episode, they spent all of this time. It's like Rick is on a farewell tour, you know, like he had all of these moments with Michonne and with Judith that should that should make me feel. And I feel like my heart is black and cold and it's just it's it's not my fault. It's the shows, you know, it's like it's like when you're breaking up with somebody and you're like, "Mm, it's not me. It's you. But really, it's it's you. It's not me. You know, I think that's the walking dead. Okay, let's get on to some good news. Uh, I might sound a bit like a broken record because this was also my pick for last month's best on TV. Or not even last month, but just a couple weeks ago. But American Horror Story, you guys, I fucking love this series. I'm kicking myself for not getting into it sooner. Like, what is wrong with me? I'm such a fucking big baby wimp. But anyways, Apocalypse, the newest season, I am... I don't know, infatuated with it. I am so excited. So I've only ever been able to watch two episodes of this series live, and it was episode six and episode seven. So maybe I'm biased in the fact that thinking that 
these two episodes have been particularly good within this season. But I really enjoyed The Return to Murder House, and uh, which was episode six, as well as episode seven, Traitor. They, they've been bangers, man. They've been so exciting, so much fun. I actually recently wrote a piece on my Patreon site, patreon.com slash TV, about Return to Murder House. And I kind of tried to look at it in the sense that like, I've only been watching the show for ooh, maybe three weeks now. So I don't have those like same nostalgia blockers that a lot of a lot of longtime fans are going to have, which is totally fine. I love nostalgia blockers, but I think that I was able to look at the episode in a little bit of a different light and I think maybe be a little more objectively critical of it. And it still turned out to be a really objectively great episode. Uh, but I loved episode seven even more. I think that, you know, in general, this season, the structure feels really tight. And I guess I should preface this with kind of saying that at this point, I've seen seasons one through three. So Murder House, Asylum, Coven. I've also seen season five in full, Hotel. I just recently started season four, which is Freak Show, and obviously I'm watching Apocalypse as it airs. So I don't have a complete view of the entire series, but from what I've watched, this season seems to be the most thoughtful and carefully crafted. You know, I found that as much as I loved the other seasons that I've seen, there were a lot of... Mm, plot holes and things that you just kind of had to whistle past and it was doable because you're so invested in characters and certain parts of the story that it feels kind of easy to just do that but that said I don't see that at all in Apocalypse I think that really the only outstanding issue is why the first two or three episodes were kind of focused on these people in the bunker but even that I think we're starting to understand why these particular people were chosen for this bunker. And I think even more is going to come to light with episode eight next week, right? Or this week, I should say, as this is, as this podcast airs. And in general, I just kind of love the themes that the show is working with, which essentially really is just, you know, capital G good and capital E evil. But it's doing it in such an interesting and fun way that I think it feels almost fresh to other iterations of those themes. I also really like this dynamic between men and women within the world of witchcraft and kind of what it's trying to say about current real life issues. I mean, all of this stuff about like men being so, oh, it's so hard for men and we've never been in power. And like, I think some stuff gets a little bit muddled, but honestly, I think it's supposed to be a kind of ironic and funny take on the fact that men are so scared of losing power or, you know, having this perceived notion of never having been in power. And I think... You know, Ryan Murphy's not always great at drawing these parallels, but this is one area where I think he's doing a very funny job at kind of showing the inverse of that thing, if that makes sense. Another thing I love is the fact that they're just not addressing the fact that multiple actors are playing multiple characters. So, like, in Return to Murder House, when... Madison interacts with, or even when Behold interacts with uh, Billy Dean, 
neither of them are like, hey, you look a lot like Cordelia. Or when Madison interacts with Violet, she's like, "Mm, bitch, you look a lot like uh, Zoe. I think that that is the most appropriate way to deal with that, to not bring attention to it, because I think to to kind of lampshade that would be very cutesy and it would be too much. And I think that it's just I think it feels almost mature for this series to just go along with it and to just say, yes, these are the same actors, but to these characters, they're completely different people because they should be right. They're the they're completely different characters. So I like that it took that direction. I think that's great. And overall, it's just kind of really fun to see all of these characters come together. And as somebody that's only recently gotten into this series as a whole, I can't even imagine what it must be like for people that have been fans since the very beginning. Like, it's only been three weeks since I saw Murder House for the first time. So my, like, my nostalgia factor is very low. But for people that saw it back in 2011, it must be so freaking exciting. So that's just really cool. And I think that... Uh, as I kind of talk about in my Patreon piece, it's not just fan service. It really is in service of the overall narrative, but there's just kind of this bonus of having these sort of, I guess, quote unquote, fan favorites come back and be in the spotlight again. And in addition to loving American Horror Story, I recently started watching The Chilling Adventures of Sabrina, which is a new Netflix show. And over on my Patreon page, I recently introduced some new uh, membership tiers. So we've got a $1 tier and a $3 tier. And the $3 tier is going to get access to specific uh, podcasts, like Patreon-exclusive podcasts, where... You guys choose the shows that I'm going to recap. And my very first show was chosen by one of the patrons. She chose The Chilling Adventures of Sabrina. So I recently released episodes, uh, my coverage of episodes one through five. And so throughout the show, I'm going to be giving you guys some little bits of promo Uh, And don't worry too much about spoilers. I've tried to keep everything from just my overall thoughts about the premiere episode. So maybe just make sure you've watched the premiere before you listen to any of the promos. Don't worry. All of the stuff will be in the show notes so you'll know when the promos come. Uh, But I'm going to throw you guys to the first set of promos right now. Yeah, so overall, I freaking loved this so much. I thought it was a really good premiere. You know, first episodes of a show always have, ah, they have heavy lifting to do because they've got to set up characters. They've got to set up the conflict. They've got to set up, you know, the plot that's going on within its own episode, but also about what's to come, right? It's got to set up a tone, a mood, an ambiance, a a setting. Like, is the location going to kind of be, you know, I know it's cliche, but is it going to kind of be like one of the characters in the show? And this wasn't the best premiere that I've ever seen, but it was really, really good. And, and, you know, most importantly, it got me really excited for what's to come. Uh, You know, I got a really good handle on Pretty much all of the characters, I think Sabrina's friends are still a little bit in the peripheries, but they will probably become more defined as things go on. Um, Harvey Kinkle is a bit of a void, but he seems genuinely nice to Sabrina, so at least there's that. Uh, I love the aunts. They are way better. As much as I loved Hilda and Zelda from uh, Sabrina the Teenage Witch show when I was growing up, these aunts are like, oh, they're just a level above. I really, really like them. I love the cousin, Ambrose, and 
most importantly, I really like Sabrina and I think I got a really good handle on who she is, which I think was the most important thing for this episode to do because she is, she's our lead. She's the one that we're going to be watching, right? You know, there, there was that one scene where she takes Harvey into the woods and tells him all about her being a witch and she just stands there for a minute and she like breathes in and she really soaks up the surroundings and she says, you know, one of her favorite things is just that sound of wind rustling through trees. And I just love that. I mean, that there's something about that dialogue that makes me feel really intimately connected with Sabrina. Like that's something that really speaks to her soul and she's kind of bared that to us. And it kind of reminded me of when you first meet uh, Agent Cooper in the Twin Peaks pilot and he's talking about how beautiful the trees are as he's entering this, uh, you know, Pacific Northwestern place and or Northeastern, I should say. Nope, Northwestern. Yep. I know geography and he's talking about how beautiful they are and how he wants to know what the name of this tree is. And then he's talking about the, the taste of the cherry pie that he just had in a town outside of where he's going. And I don't know, in that moment, I also felt really connected to Coop just because of the kind of dialogue and the things that he was telling about himself. And I felt the same way in this moment. And so it sort of really endeared me to Sabrina to see her say something like that. All right, and as for what I'm looking forward to, Outlander Season 4. You know, Outlander Season 3 definitely wasn't the best of the series, but... I have read the first four or five books, and I do remember that the fourth book was pretty much my favorite since the first book. I think I think the first book will always remain my absolute favorite, but the fourth book I thought was very, very interesting. Uh, it kind of puts Claire and Jamie on uncommon ground because though they're in America, it's obviously way back in the day. So they're still in quote unquote, the colonies. And I think that introduced some very interesting kind of dramatic tension for all characters concerned, because as I said, everybody's kind of on uncommon ground. So nobody really knows. Nobody really has like their safe space, I guess you could say. Jamie and Claire kind of become each other's safe space to to an extent that they weren't even before, if that makes sense. So yeah, so just because of the fact that I have read the book, uh, as with the other three, I'm looking forward to the adaptive changes. Uh, I'm looking forward to seeing how they stay close to the source material. And what I really liked about the beginning of book four, and I guess in a sense kind of the end of book three, is the fact that it kind of felt as though this was the end and also the beginning of a new part of the series. I always kind of felt like books one through three represented part one. And then the beginning of book four kind of represented this beginning of part two. So that's kind of exciting. And I want to see how, again, like how the adaptive changes are made and how they kind of address this as a television show. If you've read the books, you'll know that there's a couple of like really interesting and exciting things that are coming up. And I can't wait to see how uh, Sam Hewen and Katrina Balfe kind of react to these in-character things. I think that's going to be really exciting. And you know what? I mean, it's never hard to watch Sam and Kat on screen together. They have the most palpable fucking chemistry. I mean, it's never a dull moment. Mm, 
okay, there's a couple of dull moments throughout the seasons, but typically there's never a dull moment. They just, they kind of, they spark in a very fun and, oh, just engrossing way. So, yeah, so I think that comes back November 4th on Stars. And uh, hopefully that's the same in Canada because I, I don't want to wait. I don't want to have to be behind the Americans anymore on Outlander. Come on, Canada, let's go. All right, guys, that's going to do it for the This Month in TV section or like This Week's in TV, whatever it is now. And uh, coming up, a very special segment. Stay tuned. You know, again, as much as I loved the Sabrina the Teenage Witch show from when I was growing up, this is a very different Sabrina. That Sabrina, like the Melissa Joan Hart Sabrina, was always whining about Harvey and... Oh, I'm 16 and I, I have to be a witch too. That was her voice. It's a really good impression. Anyways. Uh, but I just found that like while Sabrina was concerned and was sad that she would lose Harvey and her friends in the process of maybe choosing to be a witch, she also had all of these other very mature concerns about like not really understanding what she was getting herself into and wanting to be able to make an informed choice. And I'm like, yes, thank you for writing 16-year-olds this intelligent because I think that often television shows don't give them enough credit and are written as just stupid, vapid idiots. And I just really like that, I mean, all these kids, they are, you know, quote-unquote woke as fuck. Honestly, I wish that I could have been this educated and enlightened and mobilized and radical. I just think of, you know, all the things that I could have accomplished by now. Um, but anyways, they're great. I can't wait to get to know more about the friends too, because I assume they're not going anywhere. Some of them are in the main credits, like they're the actors' names. So what else? Uh, love the family dynamic. As I said, I really like the ants, but I also think that, uh, the way that they have conversations was very intelligently written, because I think that a lot of the times, particularly in pilots, when plots are being set up, it's very easy to... Uh, have characters that know each other really well and have probably had these conversations already to just have them on screen for the audience benefit. For example, when they are explaining certain things like your Sabrina's body, you need, you know, you need to go through a cleanse before your baptism. Well, it feels like, you know, they might have mentioned these things in passing, but as we learn later, like there's not a, she doesn't know enough yet about all of this stuff that she's about to get into. So, even those few lines of dialogue about like, well, you have to drink this and you're going to need to do that and, and so on and so forth. It just felt like very natural. It didn't feel as though it was being forced so that the audience could understand what was going on. You know, it's like it's a, that classic thing where like two best friends are having a conversation, but it feels so fake because they're having a conversation about things that they already know and it feels like they're explaining it to one another, but never did that feel like it was going on. So I think that... It was very clever. The, the writing was just very clever in the way that they were introducing things to the characters. All right, guys, I have a very special guest joining me right now, and uh, it's kind of been spurred on by the most recent guest on the Damn Fine TV podcast, Jen, who turned my quizzes at the last moment into a debauchery of a drinking game, but... It worked out. It, it was a lot of fun. And uh, so my lovely fiance, Tyler, say hello, Tyler. 
Hey, hello. He said, you know what? If you do another quiz as a drinking game, I'll join you. So I've finally figured out how to get guests on the show. All I have to do is promise booze. Yep. Anyways, I've got uh, I've got three quizzes ready to go, Tyler. I'm going to let you okay. make the decision. Would you like to be quizzed on Do You Know This Netflix Show? I don't. Or you probably don't. Uh, I'm banking on it so that you do more drinking. Uh, right, would right. you like to do a Walking Dead podcast or, or a quiz about It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia? So just to recap, uh, Netflix quiz, Walking Dead quiz, Always Sunny in Philadelphia quiz. What what would you like to start with? I feel like I have the best chance with Sunny in Philadelphia. Okay. The words The Walking Dead make me want to throw up in my mouth. Ooh, fair. Which is probably not good for a drinking game. Yes. Uh, and I don't know this next Netflix show, but you uh, might. I would be definitely willing to do a mixture of the three if you if you can just throw me questions with all three of them. I think that will really throw you off guard. I think you should just choose one. I think the alcohol is going to be what's throwing me off guard. Mm, but we'll fair see. Fair point. Fair point. Okay, just choose one. We'll go with that. Sunny. Okay. Here we go. So, you guys, this is a quiz that I've gotten from a random website, joe.ie. Nah, I don't know if that's a real thing. I think it's pronounced but Joey. It might be Joey. Joey. Okay, so let's get going. Question one. What is the name of the show's very first episode? Is it The Gang Gets Racist, Charlie Wants an Abortion, or Charlie Has Cancer? Charlie Has Cancer. Oh, in typical Always Sunny fashion, the show starts off with an episode called The Gang Gets Racist. I think that's wrong. I think Joey has already done it wrong. Let's go to Wikipedia because because I'm pretty sure it's Charlie Has Cancer. pilot is Charlie Has Cancer. I'm pretty sure that we are correct on this. So let's do a quick googly search and we'll go to the Wikipedia page, which is accurate because literally anybody can write anything on Wikipedia, so Which we know it that it's correct. We know yeah. that it's accurate. Uh, let's see, season one. The gang gets racist. Oh shit! Wow! Wow! So that's a drink for you. Wow! Is that okay. episode two? Uh, Charlie gets cancer. Charlie has cancer. Is episode four? Ooh, rough stuff. Wow, rough stuff. Okay. Right. Question two. Okay. What color is the spray paint Charlie has been huffing when he invents the Dayman song? It is a metallic silver. Correct. So you I suppose that's on me. All right. We're doing shots of beer here. Okay. Let's, that's not, what we let's have. not divulge everything. Okay. Question three. Question three. Ooh, what does the second N stand for in the Dennis system? Is it neglect physically? Neglect emotionally, neglect completely. Ooh, this is a good question. Neglect emotionally. Ding, 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 ding. You drink. Oh, that's on me again. Oh, boy, yeah. folks. <laughs> Uh-oh. The bubbles are already starting, starting to go to your head. Is that question three? Well, that's why they can't mainline beer, right? Because it has yeah, bubbles. They exactly. have to mainline wine. Mainline wine. Is that question four? If you guys know what I'm talking about, it's, uh, it's the always- Char- Charity McDennis. Okay, number four. Number In two. Reynolds versus Reynolds, the serial defense, who ends up being made to pay to have Dennis's car clean? D. Mm, yes, of course. Drink. Everybody knows that. 
That's not fair. Number five. <laughs> in Mac and Dennis Manhunters, Frank makes Dee and Charlie believe they've eaten human meat. But what is it actually? Cat, horse, or raccoon? Raccoon. Drink. God damn it. Guys, we've watched every Sunny episode at least three times. Little behind the scenes on our soon to be marriage. One of the first shows we ever watched together was Sunny. And I remember, you know, this goes back to question one uh, the gang gets racist. I remember when Tyler showed this to me, I was like, oh, do I not want to date this guy? Because this is not great. Like, this is weird. Yeah. Uh, thankfully, it, it recovered and, and it showed me what kind of show it was going to be. And they are clearly racist people, but you're not supposed to like these people. The characters. The characters, yes. I still like him. I have a ring on my finger, so. Yeah. Okay, question six. Which of the members of the gang have slept with the waitress? Dennis, Frank, and Mac. Dennis and Frank. Dennis and Mac. How, when was this quiz written? Because. Answer the question. Dennis has. Okay. Charlie also has. Mmm, fair. Spoilers. Spoiler alert. Answer it from And this. so is Frank. Well, Dennis and... What are the three options? Dennis, Frank, and Mac. Dennis and Frank. Dennis and Mac. Dennis and Frank and Mac. God damn it. Den- no, Dennis and Frank. Yeah. Yes, Dennis and Frank. All right, guys. Question seven. In the gang exploits the mortgage crisis, what names do Dennis and Mac give themselves Vic when they're Finnegar. posing as realtors? Whoa. Penalty for not allowing the question to go through. Absolutely not. Mm, fair. Is it honey and vinegar, lemon and lime, or sugar and mustard? I wish it was sugar and mustard, but it is definitely vinegar and honey. It is absolutely honey and vinegar, and fuck Joey for making this quiz way too fucking easy. Well, God you damn. Get, you should have read it over before you gave me these uh, these options. I did not do my due diligence. <laughs> You're double D. Your due diligence. All right. Okay, question eight. Yes. In The Gang Hits the Road, what fruit does Charlie eat for the first time? An apple, a pear, a plum. Oh, oh, this is a really tough one. A pear. Yeah, he's right again. (sighs) Tyler wants to do all the Sunday chores by himself tomorrow. That's clearly what he's telling me by being such a dick. All right, moving on. Question nine. What is the name of the transgender woman who Mac dates for a while? Is it Cynthia, Crystal, or Carmen? Carmen. Wow. If there's any show that this man knows, it's Sunny in Philadelphia. And I I don't know why I gave him the choice, you guys. Why did I give him this choice? Okay, here I go. Stop. Yeah, here you go again. You should stop giving me the multiple choice options. That one, that one hit her Okay, hard. we've got two more questions for the Sunny Quiz, and then Listeners. we'll move on to something else. So question 10. In Charity McDennis, The Game of Games, which I did bring up before, yes. what does Frank have to eat to escape from the dog kennel? And I am no longer giving multiple choice. He has to guess it on his own. So do you need me to recap? No, I got okay. it. You got it? It's an entire cake, but uncooked. All the ingredients. Uh, all of a the cake. ingredients of a cake. He literally said the answer. All the ingredients of a cake. Wow. Okay. Question eleven. What drug do Dennis and D get addicted to in Dennis and D go on welfare? 
That would be crystal crystal meth. Oh, it's crack. crack. It's, it's crack. crack. Crack, crack, crack. It's crack. Wait, it's, I can't believe you didn't know that. It's no, crack. I do know that. But you did So I almost said angel hair because I know they do angel, angel hair. Angel hair? What, the pasta? <laughs> angel hair. <laughs> angel dust. Because uh, they do it in the oh, Jersey bitch, episode. This is angel hair. Embrace the night. <laughs> we have a lovely white sauce to go along with it. This is the angel hair. Embrace the night. <laughs> Okay, guys, last question in the sunny quiz that has doomed me for Sunday. Yes. Question 12. In The Gang Beats Boggs, how many beers do Dee and Charlie manage to chug to beat Wade Boggs' record? Okay, unfair. I'm going to give you the multiple choice on this one. No, don't give it to me. Oh, okay, okay. You're going in blind. Uh, we're kind of trying to beat the wa- the Wade Boggs record here as well, some would say. Well, we also have to add in, what did he eat then? Chicken uh, and yeah. also some rum and coke? <laughs> rum and coke, yeah. I feel, like, um, I feel like four people out there have watched all of Sunny and they're like, yes, I totally get these references. And everybody yes. else is like, what the, who, who is Wade Boggs? You're talking about Boss Hogs? <laughs> <laughs> Again, it's, that's only for Sunny fans. It is 60-something. Uh, I want to say 65, but it might be 64. S- 65. What's it going to be? 65? See, here's where the thing breaks down. So I'm going to give you the multiple choice, okay? Okay. 45, 62, 71. 62. 71. Do they drink 71? They drink 71 beers. And then he went, throw me the hot dog, baby. Put some mustard on it. Put some mustard on the hot dog, baby. (laughs) Okay. All right. Excellent. My one issue with the whole show I don't know how I feel about some of this visual style. I, if you guys have noticed in some of the scenes, there's like this fading towards the like peripheries, the sides of the screen, like blurry edges everywhere. And I just think I don't really know what they're going for. If well, okay, here's what I'll say. I think it comes on too strong sometimes. And I think that it tips its hat a little bit too much. So I guess I should walk that back and say, I do kind of understand what they're trying to do. And because it's only really used in scenes where something sinister or something spooky or um, even just witchcraft in general is being discussed, I think. And so I think it leads on a little bit too much about what's trying to be accomplished in that scene. I think they should just back off of it a little bit. You know, in some of the shots it worked, But I wasn't a huge fan of it. So we'll see if it continues. And as far as like the vibe and everything, it was a little bit spooky. That scene where Salem, in whatever other form he was in, he was like goblin-y, ghouly, long fingery guy. I don't know. But when he's standing behind the closet door, that spooked me a little bit, but I liked it. It was a good spooky. Uh, It's not as spooky as I wanted it to be, though... Maybe that will change. Maybe this was just, you know, getting getting their feet wet with things. And I mean, that what, that vision that Sabrina has when she bites into that apple and then she has that vision. I mean, that was, it didn't scare me, but it definitely had some like chilling vibes, right? So, it, you know, fingers crossed it gets a little bit creepier, but it is definitely dark. So that's good. Uh, the other thing I hope it does more of is that like as much as I believe that Sabrina and her friends are concerned with things like 
gender politics and feminism and toppling the white patriarchy. I fucking love that Roz called it the white patriarchy. That is phenomenal. I, I, I believe that they're interested in these themes, but I hope that it's not just the show kind of ticking boxes on social issues and being like, yeah, well, we addressed, you know, gender nonconforming and people and, and, you know, we, we hit the feminism box and now we can move on. I hope that they kind of dig deeper into it. And there's one scene in particular that kind of makes me feel that they will be addressing these issues a little bit further in depth. Uh, and I'm going to get to that in one minute, but, uh, the only other thing I want to say overall is that I really enjoyed the opening credits. They are really fun. I think it's a good balance between fun and kind of spooky. And I love that they're using, like, so those visuals are all original artwork by uh, Robert Hack, who was the artist for the comic that uh, Roberto, like the writer of the episode, the creator of the show, their comic book. So it's all the, the artwork from the actual comic, which is really, really cool. Okay, guys, my very special guest, who you now know is my fiancé, has decided that he will uh, very nicely stick around for a second round of a quiz. Tyler is now going to ask me questions about whether or not I know particular Netflix series because I'm pretty sure I can ace this. So, Tyler, whenever you're ready, jump in. Okay. You're going to love this one. This is a good one to start off with. Quarks fly when two geeky physicists discover that they have a new neighbor, a sexy actress inspires them to try a relationship with a real woman quarks fly yeah say it again quarks fly when two geeky physicists discover that they have a new neighbor a oh sexy- it's big bang theory yeah Fuck <laughs> big bang theory i thought you'd like that one i'm gonna nail this this drama follows the political rivalries and romance of queen elizabeth ii's reign the crown yeah. Yeah, I'm Boom. guessing that's right. Mic drop. Don't even like that show. She didn't deserve that. They called the wrong Elizabeth, y'all, at the Emmys. Mm-mm. No, Carrie Russell, we love you. This Quiz. sci-fi anthology series explores a twisted high-tech near future where humanity's greatest innovations and darkest instincts collide. Black Mirror. Boom. This is not as um, difficult as I thought it would be. Mm-hmm. Or is it just not difficult for me? The Extraordinary Baudelaire Orphans face trials, tribulations, and the evil Count Olaf in their fateful quest to unlock long-held family secrets. A series of unfortunate events? That is correct. Yes! I don't even watch that shit! Yes, yes, yes! When he impresses a big lawyer with his razor-sharp mind... A college dropout scores a coveted associate job, even though he has no legal credentials. A show I definitely don't watch. Are you passing? Yes. Suits. Drink up. Oh, and that's, you guys, that's what Miss Markle Sparkle is on. That makes me feel sad. Let me top you up before you drink. Okay, next question. This show takes place in 1919, Great Britain, in the aftermath of the Great War. Returning soldiers, newly minted revolutions, and criminal gangs are fighting for survival in a nation rocked by economic upheaval. Grace and Frankie. Wrong. No, drink. that's not right. Uh, no, no, no. no. Uh, Peaky Blinders? 
Peaky Blinders is correct. It is? It is correct. Yes. Okay, one more. Final question, you guys, for the Netflix quiz. Here we go. Here we go. Just trying to find one that will be difficult, but Mm -hmm. not impossible. I feel I've demonstrated that even when I don't watch shows, I still know their descriptions. Final question. All right, here we go. Okay, and I picked this one because it could be the plot of so many shows. Oh, okay. Okay. Chronicles the life of the cocaine trade in Colombia and the gripping real-life stories of the drug kingpins of the late 80s. Narcos. Shit. Yes! Don't even watch it, y'all. Don't even watch it. No, because that's modern days, and it's Jason Bateman, and fuck him. Yeah. I nailed it. Game over. I win. All right, Tyler, thank you so much for coming on the show and doing these quizzes with me. That was a lot of fun. I hope the listeners had as much fun listening as we had recording this. I hope they have more fun than we're going to have tomorrow. Ooh, yes. I definitely hope you guys have more fun than uh, we do on our cursed Sunday. Oof. Oh, boy. And also, I guess we'll see you next month for the best of uh, 2018 in TV. Sure. A little uh, teaser spoiler for next month's episode. If there's beer, I'm there. All righty. If you enjoy reading and talking about your favorite TV shows, movies, games, and comic books with other passionate fans, then you should check out Project Fandom for daily reviews and entertainment news. And be sure to check out their official podcast, Podcast Fandom, for in-depth discussions on shows like Game of Thrones, The Walking Dead, and many more. That's projectfandom.com and Podcast Fandom, located on iTunes, Stitcher, and other podcast providers. Project Fandom, free to geek. All right, guys, it is time for your listener questions and feedback. If you would like to send in feedback or questions to the show, you can always go to the WordPress site, which is allthisdamnfinetv.wordpress.com. There is always a question thread going on there. Uh, If you become a patron, there is an exclusive feed for patron questions, which always get considered and read first. Or you can send an email to damnfinetv at gmail.com. All right, let's get into it without further ado. The first question today comes from Beth over on the Patreon site, and she is commenting on the last podcast, uh, the one about TV BFFs and friendships and friend groups and all that. And she says, I guess for me, the greatest of friendships and dynamic duos would have to be that of Sherlock Holmes and Dr. John Watson. Whether in books, movies, or TV series, that friendship has stood the test of time. And for those who brought these two to screen life, each pairing, in my opinion, portrayed their friendship well. Ozark, the marriage of Marty and Wendy Bird, they have navigated through infidelity, plunging into a world of crime and murder. They have grown stronger and their individual strengths have as well morphed, given that Wendy is now taking the helm. Claire and Frank Underwood, another fascinating couple. Oh, and how about Grace and Frankie? This is us. I love all the couples. All of these pairings are faced with situations and events that, for most of the people I know, don't face in their daily lives. I can't really come up with one that I don't like. So what is it then that we love about these characters? We can't truly relate to them, so what is it that draws us in? Is it more than just good writing and chemistry? Do you think it takes a stronger actor to elicit dislike and yet love at the same time? 
I can't think of an example, but I know there have been occasions when secondary character friendships have become my favorites. Do you think this is intentional by the writers or perhaps a bit of fluke and luck? You know, movie magic. Uh, Awesome. Thank you for all that feedback, Beth, and those questions. So let me try and dive into everything here one at a time. First off, I think it's super interesting that you noted so many couples uh, while discussing friendships, which I think is great because, you know, all of the best romantic pairings, both in real life and on TV, should have some basis of friendship, too. And these kinds of couples weren't necessarily the focus, well, they weren't at all the focus of the BFF podcast, but but that's because in the future, I'll definitely have another amazing guest on to discuss the best TV couples of all time and maybe some of our least favorites too. So in terms of your first question, uh, not being able to relate, so what is it that draws us into these people? But I would have to, I guess, push back a little bit and say I disagree because most characters on TV are going to be struggling with very specific issues, sure, uh, some of which we may have never experienced. But I think for the most part, those struggles represent kind of a larger theme. Let's take Frank and Claire, like you mentioned, from House of Cards. I think, you know, they definitely are navigating through problems that most of us can't really relate to, right? You know, we're not we're not politicians or the president and I would say that most of us aren't murderers, right? But at the very core of that show are these very basic ideas like marriage and power and morality. And I think that casts a pretty wide net in terms of an audience that can connect with that material. So even though Claire and Frank are dealing with these issues on a much larger scale than any of us have probably ever done, I think that when you really boil things down, we can still relate to kind of the nuts and bolts of what they're going through. And I would say the same goes for pretty much all of the couples you brought up. Now, I'm not super familiar with Ozark. I'm not a huge fan of Jason Bateman, so it's just not really a show that I'm going to get into. But I guess similarly, I could draw a parallel between maybe Skylar and Walt from Breaking Bad. And so, again, I mean, they're dealing with things like how to launder the meth money and how to deal with Hank as a DEA agent, right? But they are struggling themselves to figure out this new side of their relationship and how to be parents in this new world that Walt has forced them into. And so again, while maybe, you know, my relationship or your relationship, you're not dealing with that kind of drug and crime stuff, but you're still dealing with, you know, what are the best decisions to make when a relationship does take a bit of a a U-turn that had been unexpected or forced. And then to touch on the next part of your question, I think part of what draws us into the characters we love so much is the fact that we can watch them handle particular struggles and empathize with them along the way and sometimes even find catharsis through their journeys. You know, sometimes it's a lot more fun to see our problems navigated in a more fantastical or removed way. But, you know, to take another show you mentioned like This Is Us, at the end of the day, that show is just about family and the struggles those characters face. 
space. And though, again, they're specific to them, they really mirror most people's lives. You know, marriage, raising children, addiction, self-esteem. I think we can all connect with one or more of those on a certain level. Now, that said, I think, Beth, you kind of hit the nail on the head with needing good writing and chemistry. And I think the latter is particularly important where it concerns BFFs and couples and and friend duos and all that kind of stuff because if there's no spark between the actors I mean romantic or not a lot of what's on the page for them just isn't going to translate to the screen very well anyways and then your second question about needing a stronger actor to elicit both dislike and love at the same time I think you're correct here again you know I think duality is really difficult to convey especially since a majority of people will either love or loathe the character so blindly that they don't really see their duality you know they think when you really really love a character you're almost willing to forgive anything bad that they do so you don't necessarily get the depth that that character is trying to offer But to be honest, some of my favorite characters have been those that I love to hate or hate to love, you know, those ones that do have those dualities. And I think that the characters that contain those multitudes and those sides are the ones who challenge our perceptions about them and make it a lot more interesting to navigate and figure out why we are so attracted to them. You know, just off the top of my head, the first one that comes to mind is Don Draper. And I guess, you know, most antiheroes, like maybe even Elizabeth Jennings from The Americans, uh, Don Draper, of course, from Mad Men, you know, they're not perfect people and they've both done a lot of horrible things, but I still find them sympathetic in some sense because of that duality, you know, and I obviously John Hamm and And Carrie Russell are both fantastic actors, and I'm sure the material that was given to them, they were able to bring to life on the screen and really draw us in with all of those elements. And then finally, your third question uh, about secondary character friendships. Are they a fluke? Are they on purpose? I think that, honestly, I would have to say it's probably both. Something that comes to mind immediately for me is um, Tasty and Pousset from Orange is the New Black. I mean, during the first season, they were very much in the background. They definitely had their own moments, but we were supposed to uh, be on Team Piper, right? She was the main character. We were meant to kind of be focused on her friendships and her loves and all of that kind of stuff. But Piper ended up being a very annoying main character and the show eventually made some good decisions in pushing her more into the peripheries and making it more of an ensemble show. And I don't know if Tasty and Pousset were purposefully written to kind of steal every scene that they were in, but certainly afterwards, after people, after the showrunner kind of saw the fan reaction and all that kind of stuff, I wouldn't be surprised if they gave them more material moving forward because they realized that it was working. They realized the two actresses had great chemistry and then wanted to put more of that into the show. All right. So thank you again, Beth. And now I'm going to move on to a question from the WordPress site. Uh, The first one here is from Sue. And she says, hey, Jasmine, I first want to say I loved this episode. You and your bestie seem like a lot of fun. Okay, so I think she's talking about the last podcast, the TV BFFs. Thank you, Sue. That's awesome. We had such a good time recording. I hope people enjoyed all our silliness as much as uh, we had making it. Um, Sue goes on to say, so what are some of your favorite bromances? Uh, Okay, I'll stop there and I'll say... 
I kind of mentioned them briefly on the show, just as kind of my honorable mentions. But Sheriff Truman and Agent Cooper from Twin Peaks, uh, I I love them so much. You know, going back to what Beth was asking about, they they definitely had the chemistry to bring that friendship to life because when you actually take a step back and look at the timeline of Twin Peaks, Harry and Dale barely knew each other. I mean, I think they wound up knowing each other in total for three weeks, maybe a month, but it feels like a lot longer because they just had this almost instant connection with each other and they managed to cultivate such a strong bond in such a short time. And I guess, you know, I love the fact that Coop wasn't this typical FBI guy who kind of swooped in to steal Truman's case. You know, he very much presented himself as Harry's equal and conversely, Harry never questioned Coop's methods. He may have found them a bit odd, as most people did, but he trusted in him, and they made a really good team for all of those reasons. Another one of my favorites would be Stan and Philip from The Americans. I mean, they were such an unlikely friendship, and it was a friendship that, in part, was kind of built on a lie. Unfortunately, I mean, Philip had to keep his identity a secret from not just everybody, but particularly Stan, because he was an FBI agent. But you know that Philip genuinely loved Stan and vice versa. And again, going back to that chemistry thing, these two actors just clicked. And even though you knew that there was always this undercurrent of not lying, but concealing who you really are. I mean, even though Philip knew Stan was an FBI agent, there was a lot that even if their friendship had been a regular friendship, Philip wasn't a spy. Stan still couldn't have divulged everything about his work life to Philip because you just can't do that when you're working in counterintelligence. And so a lot of their relationship was built on, I don't want to say false because it never rang false to me, but there was all these pretenses, I suppose, between them. Uh, But, you know, I think that if the Cold War hadn't been a thing and they were just neighbors, these two definitely would have been friends, playing squash all the time, having beers together, all that kind of stuff. You know, and I think that that final scene of the Americans where, you know, it's a culmination of everything to all the characters involved. I mean, this is the big moment. This is the big reveal from the series. But the fact that it's Philip and Stan having the conversation, I think just really highlights and emphasizes how important that bond was to each of them. I mean, not only are both of these men heartbroken that the secrets had to come out, but what's the undercurrent there is the fact that this friendship is over forever and and everything that they'll now look back on in terms of their friendship, they're going to wonder, like, was he lying to me in that moment? Was he lying to me in that moment? And it's now sort of turned sour and a little bit bitter. And I guess my own headcanon is that like 20 years in the future, they can each look back and be like, no, that was a genuine friendship. I mean, I know Philip already feels that way because he was the one doing most of the lying, right? And he still, everything he put into that friendship was, apart from the fact that he couldn't be honest about who he really was, was genuine and was real, was sincere. But I just love that in that scene, not only were our hearts breaking because this meant that everything was out in the open and that this was truly the ending of something, but it was also the end of that friendship. And I just think that says a lot and is just a real testament to the bond that they'd created over six seasons. Okay, Sue continues. Do you have any favorite male-female relationships? Also, while on the topic, how do you feel about the fact that there aren't many representations of platonic male-female relationships on TV or movies? And what kind of an impact, if any, do you think this has on real-life relationships? 
Or do you think that this is a true reflection of what really happens or simply people's slash society's reflection of what's represented in the media? Uh, Sue, this is a fantastic question. I, I absolutely love this. Okay, so I'm going to try and break it down question by question there. I think I do have some favorite male-female relationships. Uh, going back to Mad Men, I loved Peggy and Dawn. Uh, just simply to watch their evo- the evolution of their friendship and their relationship over the years. I mean, the power dynamic was constantly shifting between them until they pretty much just got to this equal space. And I never had any interest in, quote-unquote, shipping them. I never wanted them together. I loved the strengths that they could pull from one another and how they could really shed light on one another too. I mean, Don was never more real than when he was with Peggy and I think vice versa, you know, Peggy, there was a lot of things that she wouldn't be honest about with certain people, but kind of felt like she could be that way with Dawn. Uh, and the only other one I could honestly think about right now is uh, I just started watching Veronica Mars because I want to be in the know for when the new season comes out. I guess next year, maybe I'm not sure yet, but, uh, so I just started watching that and I really like Veronica and Wallace. Now it's possible that they eventually get into like a, will they won't they situation, or maybe they have a romantic relationship, but from what I've seen, it's strictly platonic and I'm really digging their bond. But you know, I think you're right, Sue, there aren't a lot of platonic male, female friendships on television. I mean, even ones that start out as friendships, uh, you know, like Jim and Pam on The Office. I mean, they're now married with children. Nick and Jess eventually wind up together. Uh, Nick and Jess from New Girl. Even like Elaine and Jerry from Seinfeld. They're not together anymore, but they once had a relationship and they even did like a friends with benefits kind of thing. Uh, Then there's Barney and Robin from How I Met Your Mother who were together for a long time, eventually got married. And what about Dawson and Joey from Dawson's Creek? Uh, I mean, they didn't end up together, but they definitely had a relationship. And in terms of whether or not this has an impact on real life, you know, my honest gut reaction is to say that it doesn't have any impact because I'm also of the belief that kind of in the same vein, violent media doesn't cause people to commit violence, right? However, I do think that impressional people without critical thinking skills or perhaps people who might have some mental health issues don't have access to the proper treatment that they deserve. I think these kinds of people can be influenced by media. I mean, even in small ways. And I should say that, you know, when I see a positive depiction of something, a positive representation of something, I'm also definitely affected by it. And in in that way, you know, representation does matter. Now, I think representation is certainly more important when it comes to giving people of color and people in the LGBTQ community, more on-screen depictions, more characters, more relationships. Uh, Even strong female relationships, I think, is more important than ever to have representation for. But seeing strong and platonic male-female relationships could be just as important to some people. And so in terms of whether it's just a true reflection of reality or just people responding to this lack of representation, you know, art imitating life or life reacting from art, I honestly think it's probably a little bit of both. I think it's important for us to look at who's running a show, who's on the writing staff. Are women involved? Because I definitely think women are better capable of writing male-female platonic relationships, more capable than men, I should say. And that's because whenever I've heard the sentiment that men and women can't be friends, it's always from men. So I think that women have a different perspective on it and they can bring a different voice to those kinds of relationships and As we all know, 
women are still, and particularly women of color, are still in the minority when it comes to being able to run a show, being be on a writing staff, all that kind of stuff. Uh, and I would also add that I think our culture is very invested in shipping, you know, seeing two rela- two people on screen that we want in a relationship. And so I think there's a point where almost all friendships on TV, whether same sex or different sex, where you'll have fans that want them together in a more romantic way. And sometimes the writers feel the same, sometimes they don't. And I guess I'd also add that I think it's just as important for us to see platonic friendships between people of all sexual orientations, you know, not just where one character is gay or bisexual or queer, but where both or the entire friend group has the same sexual orientation. I mean, there's probably a few examples out there that I'm sorely overlooking right now. Apologies for that. But My hope is that as more marginalized groups get more representation on TV in general, these types of friendships will also become more common. Now, speaking personally, I have to admit that this isn't really something that's affected my view of things because uh, kind of as I've been alluding to, you know, I do believe women and women and men can have platonic friendships. I mean, I myself have a few of them. But, you know, what about you, Sue? Do you has this lack of representation affected your life or do you know people that have been affected by it? And listeners in general, has this lack of platonic friendships on screen affected you or affected people you know? I would love to hear what other people think about this topic. It was such a nice, juicy question. Thank you so much for sending that in, Sue. And the final question for this episode was sent to me by Sammy, uh, once again from the WordPress site. Sammy says, Hi Jasmine, me again. Is it too early for you to check in on how well your predictions went for the winners and losers of Fall TV? Also, on your last podcast, which was so funny by the way, thank you Sammy, You mentioned that you were getting into American Horror Story. That's one of my faves. Yay, Sammy. Did you watch any more of it? If so, I would love to hear your thoughts on what you found to be the scariest season. Mine was definitely season one. Do you have a fave season or character? By the way, I love the drinking game. You guys are hilarious when you were a bit tipsy. So fun. Oh my gosh. Thank you, Sammy. That was so sweet and great questions. And no, it is not too early for us to check in on my predictions for uh, the winners and losers of Fall TV. Honestly, guys, I did a little bit better than I than I ever thought I would. So let's go from, I think this is the order I did it in on the previous podcast, well, on the podcast where I addressed this. So the Connors, I predicted them to be one of the winners because I thought that uh, people would be very interested to tune in and see how the show moved on without Roseanne and how they killed her off. And for all those people that had really wanted Roseanne to come back, but weren't happy with the, with the uh, lead actress's political views, might have been more inclined to check this iteration out. Uh, And the news that I have on the Connors so far is that, well, it debuted with 10 million viewers, which is uh, no drop in the bucket. There's no word yet on additional seasons, but the... This season did get one more episode, bringing the count to 11 in total. And honestly, from what I've kind of skimmed through in the critical reviews, uh, it's been getting fairly positive press, mostly because people are saying that the show is just way better off without Roseanne. It's not something I have any interest in watching, so I can't give you my personal perspective on that, but it does seem like so far it's been a a pretty decent winner. I would say it's like middle of the road right now. My second pick for winner was Mayans, which is the Sons of Anarchy spinoff on FX. And uh, FX is a specialty channel, so it's always going to have sort of significantly less ratings 
things than like an ABC, which the Connors is on, or like an NBC, CBS, all that kind of stuff. So it has pretty decent ratings for that kind of a channel. And it has been already picked up for a second season. Uh, that happened just after just four episodes had aired. Uh, critical reviews have been mixed, but clearly FX is liking the ratings that it's getting so far. So that's why it got picked up for another season. So I'd say that's another uh, win for me. My third choice was Murphy Brown. Uh, and I think I had said stuff like, you know, you kind of have a built-in audience from people that used to watch it, and then you've got younger viewers that maybe want to see what all the fuss was about back in the day. And for me, it was something that I wanted to watch because I had known how impactful the original series was, so I have never... I mean, I think I saw episodes when I was a kid, if it was just on in the background, like maybe one of my parents was watching it or something, but it wasn't... It wasn't a show that I ever really got deeply into. But to be honest, I mean, sometimes it feels a little gimmicky. I think that most of Murphy's messages land. And even if it's a little bit uh, soapboxy, I don't so much mind because there's so much shit going on in the world that it's kind of nice to just have somebody that's regularly taking shots at Trump and the GOP in general. And I know lots of people are doing that in lots of different, you know, through lots of different avenues, but there's just something about seeing it on TV. But as far as the facts go, the episodes are averaging around like six to seven million viewers. And there's no word on whether or not uh, there's going to be a season 12. But from what I've seen, the reviews are mostly positive. What's interesting is that most male critics have given it either mixed to negative feedback, while a lot of women critics have been saying like, it's just a nice voice to hear amongst everything else. So I think I think the jury's out on whether or not I was correct on that one because we don't know about more seasons, we don't know about more episodes yet, but six to seven million viewers, you know, that's not half bad. My next pick was The Romanovs, and unfortunately for this kind of a show, we will never have ratings data because it's on Amazon and they don't release their data or anything. Uh, critical reviews have been mixed, and I think that people were really expecting a certain something because it's coming from Mad Men creator Matthew Weiner. And he that was such a such a strong show that they figured his comeback would be just as strong. But I have seen that the first two episodes didn't really get as much love as I think most people had expected. But that said, you know, each episode follows new characters in a different story. So I think the mileage is going to vary throughout the series itself. You know, if you didn't like one, you might like the other because it's a different tone or or whatever the case may be. Or maybe you like the actors that are involved a little bit more. Uh, I myself have not had a chance to check in with it because of the American Horror Story hole that I fell into, but uh, I definitely, it's something that I have on my list of things to check out, you know, maybe over the um, the winter break or something, and I doubt we'll hear plans of a season two because I think this was meant to just be kind of a one-off limited series. So I'm not going to count that as a win for me because it's, it's really unclear. My next pick was Forever, which is another Amazon show. So again, no ratings. Uh, I loved it a lot. I don't know if I've talked about it on the show. I know that it was one of my picks for what I was looking forward to. I think I talked about that on the episode that Connor was on when we discussed shows set in the 80s. Uh, but I loved it so, so much. I think I blew through it in like just just under two days. Uh, it was surprising. It was heartwarming. It was really thought-provoking. If you haven't seen it yet, don't read a review. At least read a spoiler-free review because... Something happens very early on that 
they kept a very like they kept a tight lid on the details of the show and I'm so glad that they did because if you just go into the show blind it's the perfect way to do it because as I said it was surprising and like genuinely surprising I love when a tv show does something that I just never would have thought they were going to do and it worked really really well uh the critical reviews were kind of mixed but I think that nearly everybody that wrote about the show agreed that it was a spectacular showcase for Maya Rudolph and I would have to agree she was just fantastic so I'm gonna count that one as a win because I really liked it but I don't think that we can call it like a categorical win and there's been no word yet on a season two Okay, my next pick was Into the Dark, which is a Hulu show. So again, we're not going to have any ratings. But this one I picked as a winner because I just thought it was very clever to release one episode per month. It's never going to, you know, I don't think it's ever going to overstay its welcome. People are going to be talking about it at least once a month, which is a nice little, you know, boost in the news for the show. It's never really going to, I mean, it's certainly going to have lulls, but because everything kind of has this short shelf life when it comes to television news, I think it's just genius to release one episode per month and constantly have yourself in the cycle. But again, as I said, no real ratings. And it's a little harder to check in on this one because as of right now only one episode has aired so I don't think we really can gauge how well it's doing critical reviews again mixed who could have guessed right I have not had a chance to check out the first one but I plan to watch it on Halloween so maybe I can update you guys with like a personal review uh, on a future show but again I think it's going to be a while until we can really understand how well the show has done and then my final pick for winners was Chilling Adventures of Sabrina Uh, And this is a Netflix show, so again, no ratings. But uh, right from Jump, this show was given two seasons, so we don't really have to worry about whether or not it's been renewed. Uh, But when I predicted it would be a winner, I think it was more about what the critical and audience response was going to be. Now, personally, I adore it. And as you've heard throughout the show, I am doing a podcast for it on my Patreon page. And that's been a lot of fun. You know, I I did episodes one through five so far, and it's just been really enjoyable. Uh, Kieran Shipka is doing as well as I thought she would. So that makes me really happy. I love to see her in this new role. And as for the reviews that I've read, I've only seen positive pieces. I mean, in fact, they're quite glowing. And a lot of critics are saying that this was a show worth revisiting and that it's, you know, it's got people or it's got shows like Buffy to thank for sort of making it what it is. And if this is in the lineage of Buffy, then no wonder I love it so much. But uh, I've also been kind of hanging out on the Chaos or C-A-O-S, which is Chilling Adventures of Sabrina, uh, the hashtag on Twitter. And apart from a couple of haters that for some reason are really disappointed that Salem doesn't talk when that was the most gimmicky, ridiculous thing, which was fine for the kind of show that Sabrina the Teenage Witch from the 90s was. But this is a different thing. We don't need to see a talking cat. Uh, but again, apart from a few of those kinds of people, most people seem to be really digging it. Okay, well now we'll shift gears into the things that I picked for losers. Uh, my first First choice was Manifest. I actually watched two episodes of this show and I thought I might give it the third because usually I give shows three episodes to kind of grab me and then I make my decision. But once again, I fell into that American Horror Story hole and I had some episodes piling up on my DVR and I kind of just looked at it and I went... 
I really have no interest. Like I don't, I don't see a day where I'm going to sit down and go, yep, I'm going to catch up on Manifest. So I wound up just deleting them. My first reaction to the show was that it started with a voiceover and it was a really bad voiceover. Like the kind of voiceover that just describes everything that's going on on the screen. A lot of the acting wasn't great. What I was enjoying was the premise. Like there's definitely something supernatural or weird or freaky or unexplained stuff going on, which I like. I like that kind of intrigue, but it just wasn't moving in a direction that I found super engaging. However, I'm clearly in the minority because while most of the critical response was negative, I mean, there was a few reviewers that saw potential in it, uh, but the ratings have been surprisingly good. I mean, the episodes average around seven to eight million viewers And while it hasn't been given a full, well, a typical full season order, which is usually 22 for uh, this, you know, for a a show on like ABC, CBS, that kind of thing. Uh, But it did get bumped from the original 13 order to 16. So that's a fairly decent sign for the show. And, you know, we're moving further and further away from 22 episode counts anyways. So a 16 episode season, it's not half bad. Uh, So that's definitely a lose for me. I lost that one big time. My next pick was The Kids Are All Right. Uh, Only one episode has aired as of me recording this, so we may have to check in in a couple of weeks' time. From what I can tell, people really enjoyed the premiere. Um, I don't understand why, but uh, yeah, I'll check back in with this one. And then my final pick was The Neighborhood, and the few critical reviews I've read have used terms such as tries too hard and cringeworthy. Uh, They've commented on the, quote, weak characterizations and poor attempts at cultural commentary. So I think I kind of hit the nail on the head before when I said I didn't think that, based on the previews I had seen for the show, I didn't think that they were going to have the smarts to be able to tackle the kind of cultural stuff that they were hoping to tackle. Uh, Nevertheless, it was given a full season order of 22 episodes after only three had aired. Uh, Ratings are averaging around 6 million viewers per episode, so I guess that was good enough for CBS to give it the full season order. Uh, So again, big time loss for me on that one. And then moving on to Sammy, your second part of that question, I have been watching more American Horror Story. I'm so glad you asked about it. I will take any opportunity to talk about this series. I talked about it a little bit in the opening of the show, but I'll just, um, just for clarity's sake, I'll preface my answers with the fact that I've seen Murder House, Asylum, Coven, and Hotel in full. I'm watching Apocalypse as it airs, and I've watched now four or five episodes of Freak Show. So in terms of scariness, uh, Twisty the Clown really freaks me out because I have a thing about clowns. Uh, He's from Freak Show. And just that, like, thing that he wears over his mouth, uh, and then when you actually see his mouth, that's just disgusting. Although uh, Dandy the very privileged white boy, is starting to scare me more than anything because privileged white men who take matters into their own hands and pull temper tantrums and then, you know, sort themselves out by murdering people is terrifying. There were a few aspects of Hotel that really sat with me, um, 
particularly the serial killer dinner parties, because serial killers are real, and the things that they are okay with doing just absolutely terrify me. Uh, Bloody Face from Asylum, he kind of falls into that category too, because the idea of somebody abducting a woman by making, essentially grooming her and making her feel comfortable and trusting him and then locking her in a basement and, and torturing her and raping her, that's real. That happens. And that's, that's once again, terrifying. But honestly, the most scared I've been while watching American Horror Story was during Murder House. You know, I think I mentioned this on the show with Jen, but by the end of the season, once I knew more of the ghost's kind of backstory, I wasn't as afraid. But that season just had this sort of dread and undercurrent of creepiness. It was unnerving at all times that like I had, I was using all the lights in my house and I was falling asleep with a light on and looking behind my shoulder all the time. Because I think ghosts, you know, I don't, I don't have to allow a ghost into my house for it to do anything. I would have to interact. Like, I would have to allow a serial killer in for him to get me in my own home. But a ghost could just be here. You know what I mean? That said, I do have a feeling that Roanoke or Cult, I think those are going to end up being the scariest for me because I think Cult has more clowns. And I've tried to watch Roanoke before and had to turn it off real quick. So that answer could change. Uh, in terms of favorite seasons, I would have to go ahead and say that Murder House and Coven are kind of tied because, well, and we'll see what happens by the end of Apocalypse, but that could be, you know, eclipsing both Murder House and Coven. But Murder House was what made me realize that I would love this show and make me feel stupid for not getting into it sooner. And also Connie Britton. It's so disappointing that she never came back. But also I just love witches. Witches are the best. Uh, I kind of like that Coven wasn't really scary. I mean, the racism was obviously horrific, but that element of the show really made me more angry than scared. But I mean, Fiona, Myrtle, Madison, and my personal queen supreme, Cordelia, they're just all so fantastic. I mean, even like Nan and Queenie, everybody in that season was so great. And it was just a lot of fun. I loved the theme music, like the la, 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 la. I love that. I don't know. Oh, gave me chills just to sing it. Again, I don't know, Apocalypse might beat them all out eventually, but uh, for right now, yeah, Coven and Murder House. And then my favorite character, this is really tough. I really enjoyed Lana and Kit and Jude from Asylum. I'm loving Behold from Apocalypse. Um, Myrtle and her theremin, oh, just to die for. They're like my favorite duo. <laughs> And I mean, Jessica Lang nails every single role that she's done for the show. It's too bad that she decided to leave. I mean, I totally understand why, but kind of a bummer for the show. But I think, you know what? I said it before, my queen supreme. I think Cordelia might be my favorite ever. I just love her journey from this meek little witch who didn't believe in herself and, and had been held back for so much of her life and then even went blind and, and then, you know, thought that she had to be blind in order to have this power and was willing to sacrifice that to to be able to lead her coven in a better way. And then now she's saying things like, because I'm the fucking supreme and I'm just, oh my God, I love her so much. And I guess I have a thing for Sarah Paulson, so there's that. Uh, also, I'm really not ready for Mallory to usurp her. Like, come on. Cordelia has not been the Supreme for long enough. It's not fair. Makes me think of that um, Emma Roberts gif when she's playing Chanel on Scream Queens. And she's like, it's not fair. And she's stomping her feet. Oh, I probably use that gif too much. Oh, well, whatever. 
Thank you to Beth, Sue, and Sammy for sending those questions in. They were all fantastic, a lot of fun to really kind of dive deep and and really think about. Thank you so much. And that's going to do it for this episode of the Damn Fine TV podcast. Thank you so much for listening. And I'd love for you guys to get in touch. Let me know. What did you think of this kind of new format? Uh, I did not expect to have Tyler on the show to do a quiz, but did you like it? Was it fun? Was it silly? Was it stupid? Let me know. Get in touch at Instagram or Twitter at TV, or send me an email to TV at gmail.com. You can use any or all of those uh, to get in touch for questions as well. Uh, and if you enjoyed the show and would like to support this very independent media, please head on over to patreon.com slash TV, where you can do just that for just a buck a month. In addition to helping the podcast continue, you'll also get access to the Queens of the Small Screen and Mixed Medium columns. If you're willing to spend three bucks a month, you'll get access to not only those articles, but to a whole new podcast covering shows chosen by patrons. And as you heard earlier in the show, right now I'm covering Chilling Adventures of Sabrina. But Come on by, join up, and uh, you'll maybe get to choose the next show. And if you're not ready to commit, I get it. Why not check out all this damnfinetv.wordpress.com where I post a couple of articles a month for free. And you can also rate and review us on iTunes. That's also a free and great way to support the show. Tell a friend. It's even better. Word of mouth is amazing. And I'll be back in a couple of weeks with a new topic and a new guest. But until then, guys, if you're watching TV, make sure it's damn fine TV. Okay, question seven. Oh boy. In the gang exploits the mortgage crisis. The mortgage? Okay, question seven, you guys. In the gang exploits the mortgage. <laughs> <laughs> Do you want me to read the questions? Okay. okay, guys, here we go. Question seven. In the gang exploits the mortgage. God damn it. <laughs> Mortgage. Is Mor- that a word? Mortgage. It says mortgage. The T is mortgage. silent. Mortgage. Okay. <laughs> A-E-I-O-U. <laughs>